if you were to describe this program that we had, what would you describe it as? Uh, let's see. Wait, did the pause work? <laughs> let's see. Okay. Um, <laughs> Self-aggrandizing. I'm going to have to definitely look at that on the dictionary when it's all said and done, but I don't think anybody's going to come up with something that clever for the rest of the run. That is for sure. But, hey, we all got to learn something, you know? This is Behind the Exploratory Lenses with Luis Torres. Here with episode number five, and it's going to be a no holds bar, no punches necessary kind of a series that we're going to have. Unfortunately, it is not the big project that I had in mind, which is inclusiveness, diversity, and everything that has happened this year through the pandemic, uproars, race, and cultural issues that we're having right now. Due to the lack of interest, no audio to play for, remember, as I said, it's a show about them, not myself. Someday, that project will come into fruition, but it's not going to be right now. But I do have a special bonus. It's going to be a two-parter episode that we're going to have with none other than Frisky Nixon. Yes, or formerly known as NASCAR Nixon. We discussed about a lot of things out there, whether it's about the problems with YouTube, which I definitely enduring one right now considering Adblocker doesn't work anymore and I refuse to pay YouTube money because it's a corrupt system. I don't support unskippable ads. I don't support even two ads that are unskippable. I have my own issues with YouTube. It's going to be brought at a greater light. As I said, this is going to be no holds bar. We discuss about everything that came out of our mind. We have our own issues regarding certain YouTubers. Not much myself, but I have my concerns. Frisky Nixon, on the other hand, he doesn't hold back. He discusses about certain people on why they need to do better or what they're doing is not acceptable. With the exception of one that's probably playing it right, that could eventually lead up to that individual getting greener pastures. But before we talk about Frisky Nixon, Talladega, where they all allow fans this Sunday up to 5,000, whereas the All-Stories are going to allow 30,000, but I'll discuss about that much later in this episode. But let's shift topics to Grand Theft Auto 5. Yes, the PlayStation 5 is going to come out this year with Spider-Man. Yes, Spider-Man is one of the launching titles with Miles Morales. Remember Miles Morales from the Enter the Spider-Verse? Yes, he's going to have his own game later this season in the holidays. Grand Theft Auto V will be until 2021. In case you're wondering, yes, Grand Theft Auto V is going to be on the PlayStation 5. People are saying, oh my goodness, it's Skyrim 2.0. Ah, where is my GTA 6? Where is a better Red Dead Redemption Online? Or where is Bully 2 for crying out loud? I need to find Jimmy. There you have it, Vince McMahon has his own take about it, that he wants Bully 2 so he can beat the hell out of Jimmy. Anyways, Grand Theft Auto V, expanded and enhanced. Grand Theft Auto V, let me say it again, expanded and enhanced. What does it mean? Oh, I don't know. We don't know. We won't find out. It's getting so much backlash that we probably, we're not going to find out anytime soon. Man, you got to think about Grand Theft Auto V here for a moment, why they're doing this. Well, Rockstar Games, Grand Theft Auto V is the game. Rockstar Games is just EA Sports and 2K, where it's all about microtransactions. The sporting games is all about crates and loots. GTA Online is all about the shark cards. Shark cards, not hard cards. 
Because hard cards is a saying that is stuck in my head due to being involved in racing. Shark cards. That's probably why people at Rockstar just wanted to keep pounding and pounding the living head out of Grand Theft Auto V. Because it's still popular, it's giving them a lot of money, rather than put it on the time and effort on rebuilding Red Dead Online, or I don't know, Make Bully 2, or GTA 6. One way or the other, it's probably going to happen, it's just not going to happen in 2021. It probably will not be till 2023 for all we know, or like all the jokes I've been saying out there in the comment section, it won't be till the PlayStation 7, or the PlayStation 10. Uh, gotta love video games, what a time to be alive, we're... We're talking about a nearly 8-year-old game, and the trailer of GTA 5, the very first one, came out in 2011. Boy, I remember Spanish class where in Mr. Rails, we had to make a music video about Rodolfo. There is a race car driver, a couple race car drivers are named Rodolfo, like Rodolfo Lavin. But we had to make a video, and I said, you know, I'm going to make it a little bit different. I used stock footage and all that before I knew what fair use and all that hoopla is. I decided at the very end, let me use the clips of the Grand Theft Auto 5 trailer for 2011. This was back in junior year in high school, by the way. And I decided to put Don Dinero's Que Bola, the intro. Because every time I hear that, I think, how is this song not in a Grand Theft Auto game? If you listen to Que Bola, type in Que Bola, listen to the opening seconds, and then tell me, how is that not in Grand Theft Auto? Well, for a have a Latin station, just play some Don Dinero records. It'll work, in my opinion. It has that GTA vibe. Or, of course, it had to been in GTA 5. Maybe, maybe. If I were Rockstar, I would have an... They're saying there will be an extended amount of music added. Like, a couple radio stations. Like, yeah, they're nice and all. But, can you add a story mode L DLC? LLC, jeez, now I'm thinking about speaking of education LLCs. And college and whatnot. We do talk about college a little bit. Very little. One day, I will discuss about senior year of college. Not right now. Story Mode DLC. They need to add that somehow. They need to expand it. Give us those single players that care about the story and just the overall landscape or weather because some people don't care about online. Some people don't like online how it's become the thing that Rockstar Games care about. I don't care really for it. Watching video after video about how GTA Online has just become an absolute burden to many people. It's burnt them out. It's not worth it. They just want you to buy those shark cards. This is like EA and 2K with their crates and loot. Is it really that worth it? Well, apparently the one yayo that decided to spend well over like, what, $40,000 on a WWE gaming app? Ugh, I don't get it. It's their own money, but jeez, you gotta have some common sense about money. You use your head in that regard. I'm not talking about it. Gran Turismo 7 will be on the PlayStation 5, so is NBA 2K21. We'll see how it goes, because usually when it comes to a sporting game, a big sporting game at launch, it's usually... Yeah, you don't want to jump. Madden 06 and WWE 2K15 come to mind. I don't know how Madden 2001 did on the PS2. I'm not sure if it's one of the more better sporting launch titles or not. But I do know Madden 06 and WWE 2K15 is a prime example of how bad it can be. I wait till 2K22 and see how they do. Just watch the clips. You be your own judge if you want to buy 2K21 on the PS5 or you just want to wait. But knowing 2K, they're going to probably strip a lot from the older gens. Much like what they did with WWE 2K15. Well, whereas in Madden 06, they kept just about everything. On the PS2 and Xbox, whereas in the Xbox 360 and the PS3, they stripped a lot of things because obviously it's a new console, new generation, they gotta slowly build. Now apparently Madden 21 with Lamar Jackson on the cover, I'll talk about the cover real quick. Apparently you can play two seasons of the college football playoffs. 
which is in total four games. This morning I woke up and said, it's three. There's three college footballs, and, and then I realized, oh, the two years you play, you win, you move on to the national title, do that, and the second year you play four games. Okay, now I understood. And I'm not a morning person, I'll tell you what. I'm out of joining one cover. They're going with a different route, but it looks so busy, especially the deluxe. The deluxe one looks like a yearbook layout from high school. You put slap in some photos. The main cover looks like the girls on the Instagram world will put photos like seven or eight photos in the background and you have one main one and you, you slide and slide and it's, it's just like that. That's what they're going for. The MVP cover, on the other hand, looks clean, simple, and we can live with it. Between me and H. Miller Motorsports, that is. Video games is a weird concept. That's all the PlayStation 5 talk we got. Here's to see how Gran Turismo 7 is going to look. And then as far as the PS4 is concerned, you have Project Cards 3, NASCAR Heat 5, and Formula 1 2020. Out of the three, I'm picking Formula 1 2020. Well, technically it's called F1 2020. That's the official title. I'm looking forward to my career. Sure, you have your fictional sponsors. At least we get to use Ragunathan as your second driver because, of course, you're a driver owner. You get to hire one other driver as your teammate. Of course, I'm going to go with Ragunathan just for the memes. And I imagine some people will do it as well for the memes. We'll see how that goes. I'm looking forward to it. NASCAR Heat 5 is just a copy-paste of NASCAR Heat 4. That's all it is. It's just an expanded version. Ratchet Cars 3, on the other hand, is looking like Forza Need for Speed. I don't know what they're going with, but it sounds like a Codemaster Slightly Mad type of thing they can do every now and then where they bastardize something that was great before. I have little to no comment about that game other than just what I said. Anyways, no new number one song this week. It is still Rockstar. Yeah, we I talked about Rockstar. And I, in case you wanted, I did add in a post edit that said Post Malone. Because for whatever reason, as I was talking, I said Moses Malone. Moses Malone is the basketball player. I only said Moses Malone once. And then about a minute and a half and then rambling about Rockstar, I said Post Malone. I don't know why was I thinking about Moses Malone. I know because when I think about Malone, I think about Moses and Carl. And then post. I'll be a post Malone was at the University of Idaho. But I had already graduated so I wasn't there to see it. And honestly I don't really care for post Malone all that much. I discuss about how Rockstar is boring as hell. His version. It's just this. It's just copy paste repetitiveness. Everything that is wrong with the music industry today. Especially those catchy singles that hit the charts. Alright. Frisky Nixon. Let me talk about Frisky Nixon. He's one of the OGs of YouTube. He really is. He was the one that pretty much got the NASCAR YouTube landscape going. But ever since around 2016, 2017, there's been a lot of imitators out there that's just been doing it wrong. They're just being unoriginal. That's why, from my content, I just focus on red flags and graphics. No, but that's different. It's original. A lot of people out there are just being unoriginal. Factoids are wrong, some of them. A lot of them just said a hidden agenda, and a couple of them pushed the agenda. That just rubs me the wrong way because I think don't push an agenda. Do content the right way so you don't ruffle feathers. Albeit I did ruffle feathers with the graphics of how I felt about it because it's a hidden, it's an issue that I just have when it comes to TV graphics. It's just I like perfection and cleanliness. You can't have it all all the time. No matter how many YouTubers out there, just remember Frisky Nixon was the man before all of y'all were. Including myself. But yeah, in this first part, we do talk about YouTube, what happened in Las Vegas with a couple people. 
and a lot of stuff in between. And in the next part, we do talk about music, video games, and life of being an introvert because we're both introverts in many ways. And of course, how can we not talk about one particular group? How can we not? Enough of me talking. Let's jump into the interview with the one and only Frisky Nixon. My name is Frisky Nixon or NASCAR Nixon as I used to be referred to. Uh, I do motorsports content. I mostly focus on footage and clips of rare, interesting, and funny things that occur in NASCAR, IndyCar, and other sports that I'm passionate about. I always have felt like I should be the person that goes out, does the research, finds the stuff, and shares it with everyone else. Because I know a lot of this stuff is going to be overlooked, or people are never going to take the time to research it. So I almost feel like it's my... I almost feel like I need to do the research just so I can share all this interesting stuff because that's the thing about sports. There's a long history in sports. Lots of things happen. Lots of things get forgotten. And there needs to be people like myself that come along and help share the history. This very guest is often imitated but can never be duplicated. It is the one and only Frisky Nixon. How are you doing? Doing all right. How about yourself? It's been pretty good. I had to kick out my brother out of my office. Well, I I got lucky. Uh, I don't have anyone in my house at the moment, and the neighborhood has quieted down, so I'm good to go. Yeah, it's always nice to just get certain things out of the way and make sure there's some peace and tranquility. Because otherwise, if somebody's disturbing the peace, then it's going to be absolute destruction. It's going to be difficult to edit or make the changes during posts, especially when there's background distractions. That's what happens when you co-own a house and your youngest brother is almost five years old. And I, having a finicky brother that just thinks he can claim all my equipment doesn't ask me to use the equipment. He just basically abuses it and just leaves it for, for not. And that is definitely irritating. But other than that, it's been pretty good to say the least because it is true you got um you're you're going ahead with your uh journalism stuff if i'm not mistaken because you might actually be doing some indycar stuff yeah one can certainly hope by road america with the crowds there being a four mile road course they hope they allow the media a lot more media and also the photographers because boy where does myself nobody reads my crap to begin with or Kelly Crandall's Chris Owens, or Dalen Bard, to name a few, they just want to get back to work. And with NASCAR's way of things, they're only going to allow two Getty members and maybe just one person, and that's it. Leaving those independents, leaving those who bring out excellent shots for race teams, their contract, telling them that, no, no, we got our pool people, you guys just stay home. Whereas IndyCar, you have AP, the Getty folks, and the IndyCar staff people. For small websites like myself or with Motorsports Tribune, it's very hard to find any NASCAR photos of the current event because there's just very few that they pick out on the NASCAR media set. Whereas IndyCar, you could pick the whole field no matter the setting and you'll be golden. So how many people usually, like when it's a, the non-COVID, how many people are photographing usually at the track? If I say around 40 to 50 photographers, depending on the venue, depending on the circuit, 
because I know actual sports photographers usually bring two, maybe three, depending on the location. I know Dalen has his own thing. I know Nigel Kinraid has those. We're definitely going to talk about Nigel in a moment regarding how to properly credit that because I feel like in this day and age, especially one particular outlet, proper credits is very key. <laughs> but you know, you have several out there. But the thing is, they're scattered out. They pretty much, we have to communicate with one another to discuss, all right, those guys have more priority. They take the opening laps, and then about five to ten minutes later, then they'll go somewhere else, and then we get our own future. It's kind of like a a trust system, and we definitely follow it fine. I understand not allowing any crowds, with the exception of Homestead at Talladega right now, but also you're just hurting those people, honestly, because they do their own work, because obviously they've earned it. For myself, i got a long ways to go, but at the very least, it gets those folks... Something to learn and grow their craft. Because if they're not out there to grow in, in their own craft, then nobody's going to notice. Companies are going to suffer from it. It does seem like in general that we're getting a narrowing of just the media in general. It, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking like photographers or we're talking journalists. It's definitely a narrowing down that I'm seeing because there's just not enough spots and I guess maybe not enough interest anymore to have so many media members and that's why it's kind of interesting to see all these YouTubers that think they're going to go on and be these hotshot journalists and maybe be the next Rick Allen and it's like guys the pool is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and sure there will be guys that will retire due to old age but there isn't going to be too many people that will be replacing them I think of just situations like with the journalists. How many journalists do we have right now, and how many of them use basically Twitter to get their message out and aren't even like doing lengthy articles like they used to because no one reads the articles. All they do is read tweets, or uh, write tweets, and only people read those tweets. Yeah, they don't even bother clicking the, the link itself. They just read it the headliner or the tweet and then just move move on from it. And sure, there's some out there that put on the details, but at the same time, how many of them actually read it? And how many will get an opportunity? Because I know with all the races that has happened on NASCAR, they're only allowing two, and it's pretty much hand-chosen. Usually just the big outlets will get it, and one local, and also AP to consider. Whereas IndyCar is about double the amount. Not by much, but... It's more open out there because I know IndyCar needs all the coverage they can get at this time. And I feel like if or my future stands, if there is going to be a future after 2020, because God knows what else could happen in 2020, IndyCar might be my more feasible route because at the very least, it's not much of a young man, young woman side of things. Whereas NASCAR, you have plenty of them out there, a mixed balance. Whereas down there in IndyCar... I could arguably say I'm, one, I'm probably the youngest of one of the more frequent media members out there. And that is a good thing, I would say, because if IndyCar is providing more spots, that's definitely where, to, where you need to be going. Because, like, even with NASCAR, when it comes to the booth and, like, pit reporters and analysts, all we're seeing is drivers just retire, and now they go into these positions. We got Jeff Gordon, Dale Jr., Bobby Lavani, A.J. Allmendinger, Regan Smith, etc., that are just filling up these jobs that would have otherwise had some 
you know, old fart driver maybe, or they have like some writer for NASCAR.com, like the Marty Smith type individuals that would be on a panel are now being replaced by just former drivers. There's all, you're always going to have the athlete being the analyst, the expert analyst. You're always going to have that. doesn't matter where it's racing, football, and whatnot. It's been going on since the 1970s, doing all the way back to Don Meredith and O.J. Simpson. But now more than ever, is finding somebody that has not participated is hard to come by. Like the, your Mike Joyce. I'll be a Mike Joyce does some racing. Paul Page did some racing. Robin Miller did some racing as well. But they're more known for their journalism counterparts. And and at this point where everything is going on, I feel like, and I've known this since graduating from Idaho after 2016, that even if you're very knowledgeable, you still got a long ways to go up the break over the hump and be the difference maker. And what I mean by difference maker is be out of the norm. Out of, kind of like breaking this, bucking the system. But in essence, you know what you're talking about. Who knows with all the current journalists who could possibly carry on to the future. Because in IndyCar, I feel like they're going to be just fine for the next decade or so. Well, who they have. NASCAR, on the other hand, is getting to that point, not just in the media side in a couple years, but also in the broadcasting table. You got to think who's going to be moving up. And whoever they promote in the future, they're probably not going to like it. And obviously, right now, on the Fox side, whenever that time comes, probably once the Fox contract ends, I'd imagine, that's when Adam Alexander, I'd imagine, will jump in as the play-by-play for the next decade plus. Yeah, I think that is pretty much a given at this point. As much as no one wants that, that's going to be what happens. I know one in particular has the potential, but we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. He's done some stuff in D.C. and whatnot. But... Credits. They always methodical, and boy, do they really mess it up. Credits. That's one of the biggest things when it comes to the NASCAR YouTube world they just need to really work on. And of course, we both know somebody that knows a photographer that kind of didn't appreciate somebody using a thumbnail of that very photo. I don't know, what was it? I think it was... Oh, yeah, 2002 EA Sports 500 Talladega, Mark Martin, Jimmy Johnson. Yes, there's. I've, I've been noticing this craze where people are now just trying to make custom thumbnails whenever humanly possible, but the problem is every single photo that gets taken to do these thumbnails is taken by an actual photographer. It's not just a free image. It is actually, it has like a paywall on it, And people don't understand the concept that these photographs are much like the race footage. There are copyrights that are attached, and people want money for this stuff. And I don't know what the future is going to hold with these photographers, but they're starting to notice that their photos are being taken without any form of credit. There's no money being exchanged. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if we start seeing cease and assist, lawsuits, etc., just for something as simple as a thumbnail. Oh, that time will come. Whether it's the bait and switch or just try to erase the watermark and all of that, because I know I started to put my watermarks on my photos on Twitter because I know one particular person used the photo, 
of Dylan Walsh observing Ryan Blaney's damage and mostly in response because of, hmm, Riley Hurst's favorite person in the world got a creepy message from some pervert. And I decided, well, let me use Riley's favorite person's boyfriend, Dylan Walsh, observing, kind of like giving that grin look, and then one person decided to use it, and then one of my photography buddies called them out for it and say, you know, at the very least, credit the guy. And then from that point forward, if I remember when I have chance when I use my photos on a tweet, I just simply put my Luis Torres Multimedia watermark just to keep it on the safe side. Just let them know that, hey, I took that photo, just know it. And as far as social media is concerned with Motorsports Review, when I use a photo from a Getty or Action Sports that is that we can use, I always make sure to credit them. With the Getty stuff, I just put parentheses courtesy of NASCAR because that's a courtesy thing. With Action Sports, we're contracted, so we can use just photo at Action Sports and whatnot, and we'll be fun. That's pretty much the closest thing we can do. And even my videos of the good old YouTube days... I would always make sure to credit every channel based on the order of the video it appears. And also with the old graphic series, I always put it on the bottom left side of the screen. The Formula 1 YouTube content got people always put the channel credits and all that. So at least they know how to properly credit. I feel like NASCAR YouTubers were not there. Were anything but there to be brutally honest with you. Well, there is this belief that they shouldn't have to source the footage because at the end of the day, the tape uploaders don't have the copyrights at the end of the day. They can't do lawsuits. So there's this belief by a lot of people that they don't need to give the names of those individuals that put in the work to convert the VHS tape to DVD, took the effort to edit the race to where it could actually be uploaded and then see the light of day. And then even when it comes to footage, when it comes to just networks, there's a lot of confusion, I think, about who owns what footage. Because there's, for example, the Speed Network doesn't exist anymore. It's FS1. So what do you put as the uh, owner of the footage? Do you put Speed? Do you put FS1? Do you put Fox Sports? So I think a lot of these YouTubers, A, don't care to credit the stuff, but B, also may not understand how to properly credit in the first place because there is so much confusion over ownership. Not only that, sometimes I see audio issues where a simple L and J cut, that's what I talked with Balto a little bit, that there's a thing called an L and J cut for audio. There's one in particular that I feel like they have promise, but the way to execute it audio-wise, where they slap in a phrase or, or quote that fits the subject of the video, it just sounds awful. It's just, it just doesn't flow. Very rare, it does. And then it's like, no, it, it, it irks me. It's a pet peeve of mine where they don't know how to just do proper video etiquette. And also, there are those, and that's why I said at the very intro, often imitated and never duplicated because there's a lot of imitators that, that honestly, they do the bare minimum. If very, and those that do all the hard work, too in particular, get all the praise, but not enough notoriety to realize, hey, this is great A-quality stuff. This is different. This is original. It's not copy and paste. We're learning something here. Sure, there's another channel that does that, but their most recent video, it was too opinion-based. It's just defending something where, honestly, common sense says, you do your research right, you'll see right through it. One in particular didn't really see right through it 
and honestly they should have, and people defending him, I get it, they're friends, but when I'm looking at it, you gotta do your damn research! Yeah, research is a foreign concept, I've come to find out. Um, people believe that just Wikipedia and Racing Reference cuts it anymore for any form of research. First and foremost, Wikipedia can be edited by anyone under the sun. They've gotten better about who can edit articles and who can't, but still there's a lot of wrong information. Just doing videos as long as I have, I started I think in 2009, I've been using Racing Reference a lot to look stuff up, but man, the amount of errors there are on Racing Reference pages anymore is crazy, and I know that nobody's editing that stuff. Like, no one's moderating, making corrections. It's pretty sad how bad that website has gotten, but I believe it's now owned by NASCAR proper, so there's no incentive by them even to, like, fix issues. One of those things where it takes a while. Sometimes it depends on the on the sanctioning body when they get it out. It may take a few days for stuff to be updated. I told you there was going to be no punches pulled. So Ty Gibbs won the Arca East race at Toledo. No crowds were allowed. He beat Sam Mayer. So in my knowledge, I looked up racing reference and yes, something that he is right after the fact. You just got to look very, very, very carefully because otherwise you're going to pull a mistake like I did and think that his win, Ty Gibbs' win at Toledo was his first. Theoretically speaking, it's his first under the Arca name, but technically in the correct way, it's his second East win. Sam Mayer pointed it out on Twitter. Didn't he want allowed and was like, oh yes, he did. And remember, he did. So Ty actually has five Arkowitz. Two national, two in the east, one in the west. That was Phoenix a year ago, so he has five. Ty ultimately said it's a second east win. And I've said my apologies. I wrote a note that I'll remember. I'll keep track of every single Ty Gibbs win in the Arca level from now on so I don't fall for that stupid mistake again. Hey, Twitter, put an edit button. You finally put schedule, put an edit. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for that day. Anyways, all-star race at Bristol. They're going to allow up to 30,000 people. And, and this needs to be pointed out. Wednesday, July the 15th is the all-star race on FS1, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be the first all-star venue not at Charlotte Motor Speedway since 1986 when it was held at Atlanta. Bill Elliott won that one. They're not requiring masks, but they do put a waiver form that you acknowledge that the track is not responsible for anything that happens when it comes to COVID. If I were myself, and if photographers and media are more open to cover that one than they're allowed to, I'm wearing it regardless. I'm just going to wear it. Hopefully we get something announced. As far as the media policies is concerned, if we're allowed, I'll probably give it a try to go from Road America to Bristol. I don't know how I'm going to pull it off, but I'll find a way to pull it off. We're going to jump back to the interview with Nixon. We're going to talk about the importance of the YouTubers. And I'm talking about the uploaders, the one that provides all those classic races, especially raw feeds. Something that the NASCAR YouTube page needs to take some notes on how to properly show raw feeds or properly transition well. Something that they just sorely struggle, and I will use an example in a discussion. Anyways, let's go back to the interview with Frisky Nixon. I feel like you in particular, the racing uploaders like a Dave W or a Smith and formerly Alex to name a few and Michael as well. Without them, there would not be a YouTube landscape for NASCAR. There would not be an open library of content and races that honestly, that's their own choice because they want to contribute to YouTube. 
And now I feel like those OG YouTubers like yourself and those aforementioned people, even Balto and myself, albeit I didn't rose to be frank with you until 2017, they're just being disrespected in my book. And I totally understand why Alex had to leave the, the, the rat race. I don't blame him one bit. In fact, as a matter of fact, I remember when I started doing those graphic videos, I gave, I was basically the first one that pro promoted him. Because it was like, because he put the first TNN race up, and I was going to use the Bush Grand National as filler, but once I saw that was uploaded, it's like, nope, I, absolutely, I'm going to have to credit them. I got to give them a shout out to see if anybody follows the channel. It's kind of a shame that a lot of this stuff, like the NASCAR Drivers 360 stuff is gone, but I get it. He just wanted to be properly credited. And it's a shame that it came down to that point, but I don't blame him at the absolute slightest. Yeah, I've worked extensively uh, with the tape upload guys. Like, they've given me their lists of races. I've gone through and organized their lists, figured out what stuff was online, wasn't online, needed to be improved. I mean, I did a lot of work with them to help them figure out what they needed to purchase, what they didn't need to buy, what was already in their collection that they just needed to dust off and upload. And the amount of work and money that those guys have spent is astronomical. Like, I, I give them all the credit in the world, because if you really wanted to, you could just hoard all of your VHS tapes, all of your DVD, you know, collection, and just save it, and then just enjoy it by yourself or with your friends and not share it with anyone. But now these guys have come along and started sharing with everyone. And there were races that didn't exist in any capacity. There were no clips, no nothing. Because NASCAR only until like the last year or so has actively been trying to archive footage and share footage. So we had to just rely on all these guys like Dave W. and Smith. We had to rely on them to be the source of the footage, to actually know if something did happen and to actually know if Racing Reference was in fact telling the truth, or Wikipedia was actually telling the truth on the subject. Not just those guys, I forgot to mention Edwin as Gingerbread Man as well, but looking at the grand scheme of things, the thing what they have that NASCAR doesn't have, is they have the goods. And what I mean by the goods is the raw footage, sometimes their quality is probably as good as the ones NASCAR uploaded. I know... NASCAR's uploads, the only positives I can give them is the raw feed of the 1980 Daytona 500 and finding that missing Talladega race from ABC. Other than that, they have its massive flaws. How in the mitigating goal you do not include the test drive or at the very least, Harvick's onboard all the way through on the 2002 Daytona 500? The way it was cut, bad. Unaccept it was sad. Because every time when I see Harvick's on board before they went to break, before they went with the Dale Jarrett commercial, honestly, I, I, I think it's on the NBC, yeah, the first part of the NBC graphics footage, it was through an Xfinity highlight video of the O2500 where I spliced the raw feed audio with the onboard, mixing it with the old Japanese YouTube channel that is unfortunately no longer there, which, man, their qualities were even good. Albeit it's just in Japanese form, but if you can get over that, the quality is good. It's time for another good idea, bad idea. Good idea. Sterling Marlin is out in front seeking a third win in the Great American Race.
Well, we really like the styling and the personal safety system. Oh, oh look out! Who's that? That's a bunch of them. That's a bunch of them. Oh, my goodness. Bust us out there, Sammy. Back at Daytona, a massive accident down in turn one has claimed at least 15 cars. Bad idea. Sterling Marlin is out in front seeking a third win in the Great American Race. Back at Daytona, a massive accident down in turn one has claimed at least 15 cars. You blew it! You had it all and you blew it! Yeah, and I don't understand the the editing of any of these races where there's 50 laps that are just randomly removed and because Fox and NBC got rid of the raw feed and for anyone that doesn't know what the raw feed was it was basically people would get the races and there would be a feed that would be released that didn't have any commercials so you could hear what was going on in the booth what was going on on pit road you could hear the onboard footage so all of the audio just stayed as normal, even though they were gone to break. Uh, but when it came to Fox and NBC, the rules changed to where the audio in the booth was cut every time that they went to commercial. So these feeds that are now being uploaded, you get this weird audio that happens when the ad break is supposed to be. And in some instances, it's like onboard footage or the ambient sound of the track. But then there's other times where there'll be like radio transmissions that like leak in or garbled audio. And it's just, it's a disaster across the board. Yeah. And I think NBC stopped doing those after 06 because I know many years ago when I was in college, the Chicago Land Speedway Facebook page uploaded the last few laps of Kevin Harvick's 2002 win. And that was showing, that had raw feed audio. So I know for a fact Unfortunately, part of the 2002 Sharpie 500 on the NASCAR channel has some of the raw feed stuff. So that validated how I knew that they have it. They just don't want to show it. But oh. Want, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's There's an international feed, I think, is what the vast majority of that stuff is. Because I was actually watching, what was it, the Atlanta truck race. Um, I had to stream it because I don't have uh, FS1. And the stream, I think, came out of, like, Dubai or something. It had a bunch of Arab letters at the bottom. But what was interesting, it was the raw feed. And I'm like, wait a second. What? Wait, I'm watching a raw feed? And I guess it's the international feed of that race. Now, obviously, there were no commercials. There was no, like, booth audio. But they had, like, the onboard camera during the commercial break. They had, like, the camera on the back straightaways. The cars drove by. So that stuff still exists. It's just a matter of are they going to release it or not in any capacity. There's one way. There's actually there's a fun fact. When I was at Daytona this past February, the Sunday portion, I wasn't there for the Monday, unfortunately. The Sunday portion, while during the rain delay and the whole pre-race hoopla, I had the scanner. I finally bought myself one of those damn scanners. It could come in handy when I'm at the track. It makes it a lot easier to hear radio and all that stuff. There's a certain channel that you can actually hear raw feed from both the radio and the telecast. That's a fun fact for you. So, hmm. there's still raw feed. Not full-blown like the not ESPN days, but a good fair chunk of it that you hear whether... I know for a fact there was studio panel you can hear. 
and you can hear the production side of things on the MRN bit. But that's something that is worth pointing out. Well, and I often wonder if it's just an active attempt at censorship to keep the the squeaky clean image that they try to convey. Because if you listen to a lot of those raw feeds in the 90s, there was a lot of inappropriate language, a lot of inappropriate jokes that happened in the booth that were not professional, would never fly on live television, but they were at an ad break, so they were allowed to let loose because only the people that had the satellite feed could hear that going on. Yeah, and they even acknowledged those folks that are watching through those raw satellite feeds before the pre-race stuff even began, which honestly, there was no such thing as a pre-race. It was like, ESPN Speed World, let's go to X, Y, and Z with the command. Gentlemen, start your engines. Pace laps, starting grid, then green flag. Well, and they wouldn't even get the starting grid fully in a lot of the times. Like, they would quickly, like, rush through, like, the last three rows as they were growing green. Oh, yeah. NBC in particular, I, rem- I even pointed out back in the speed, the, the sports world days, not the speed world, sports world days of the 80s when Paul Page and Bobby Unser would used to do Talladega. There was one in particular, I pointed it out, with the starting grid, like, they would show the certain six rows for, like, five seconds, then the next six, three seconds, boom, final rows, green flag comes out. Well, and then, like, for example, they just started doing the ticker at the bottom, which always just annoyed me. And then they would just run that through the entire, like, pre-race show. Here's the grid, and we'll just roll it at the bottom of the screen. And then we'll have some pit report that no one cares about and keep scrolling it at the bottom when the pace laps are going on. Yeah, they don't even show where their pit stalls. That's one thing, one of the only few good things TNT did in their solo run is show the pit stalls. Yeah, that was kind of interesting because it's like you got to see who got each quadrant of pit road for each pit reporter. Yeah, not only that, if I recall, one of the darlingest starting grades recently, they had the drivers introduce themselves. And then after that, Fox decides to go hot potato like the Billboard Hot 100's number one songs these days, where they show all the versions of the grids, like the generic one, a super generic one then the pylon, and then, like, traditional grid. It's like, make up your mind, pick one. Especially with the Marsville race, that would have been ideal to show the whole full-blown grid with the portrait and the number, not just a bottom-of-the-screen hullabaloo. And then ESPN just can't get it right at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Jeff Fuller? Yeah, who's Jeff? No, we're ESPN. We don't care about Jeff Fuller. We'll just not show his photo on the starting grid. Ugh. Well, and then, like, I guess they showed Dave Blaney instead of Ryan Blaney oh, yeah. and used IndyCar font. <laughs> like, how do you mess that up that bad? I think I, I won't only the bet. I was like, uh, oh, we got those IndyCar numbers. Let's just use them. And boy, the IndyCar graphics, the number font-wise was egregiously horrible. They were badly edited. And then some of the Fox number fonts, they just... Imagine imagine this, you get the full paint scheme render from an NR, 2003. You just decided to crop the door of the number font, where it has a little bit of that shine with the bend with the door. You crop it and it looks wonky and garbage. That's what Fox typically does, does with those back marker number fonts. Like, don't they contact the teams to send the number fonts? Or, I don't know, there's this one website... That actually is dedicated to make all the number fonts and backdrops to perfection. And people don't know that. 
Well, I'm sure with, like, Rick Ware Racing, it's not worth the time, because they change their font weekly. They change their fonts weekly. They oftentimes with switch manufacturers. Sometimes their sponsors are too hard to read because Fox decides to pants way out to not show one of the Ware cards in its full glory. Well, and I've heard that you have to get approval every single time you change your number. So how many, like pieces of paper and like documents does Rick Ware have to go through every single weekend because he decided, well, we're doing a different number font this week. It's one of those things that just makes things difficult. And I know one, somebody in the comment section during the, the infamous Fox video, which I like to call the jumping the shark moment of my career on the YouTube scope of things where apparently they have to email the network or whoever with those numbers so sometimes you have the wrong number font. Fox has been inconsistent in that department. NBC are not perfect in that regard either. They'll sometimes, on occasions, get the font wrong or it's just the wrong year and whatnot. But at least they put some sort of care into them where they are willing to change it. Because Fox, when you show Fox tracks, they show the number font, but it blends in with the background that you only see the outline. It's like, dude... I don't care if it's in white background or whatever you want to do with it or it's just the wrong colors. Don't blend one color that matches the number font with the background. Just show the outline is different. If you get my drift, that made no sense. But you know what I mean with the number, yeah. the background. I, I'm really glad that we're getting into your passion of number fonts <laughs> because I've noticed that you really care about this stuff and I'm glad you do. But it's one of those things that's always interesting is you see NASCAR fans, they have like this niche thing that they care about. Like Brock, of course, cares about the last place driver. You really care about the fonts. And I always like that because you will always find that one person that has like, they're all about this particular statistic or they know every factoid about this driver. And that is kind of a cool little thing to have. Oh, no doubt about it. It's just part of the aesthetic side of me that are just wants things to look perfect. Because I don't know how we went from a time where in the early 2000s, it was mostly just about 95% perfect. NBC is a whole different animal in the first run when it comes to the number fonts because they just either stick with the Bush series generic number fonts or don't even bother changing the number font from the previous year. <laughs> when I found out that the Casey Atwood's paint scheme was supposed to be completely different, and it matches Mike Wallace's number seven font from 2001. It's like, oh, no wonder why NBC never, NBC slash TNT never changed it. Because they went with the original scheme that never raced. Yeah, the one that was shown at a car show. Yeah, they still had Mike Wallace's number seven font. The Matei, Jim Smith font before they added the Amberham side of things. And, and like with Dave Blaney, they never changed the number font. It's just stuck with the flat Robert Presley font. And then, oh... The starting grids, Jimmy Spencer and Hutch Strickland's number fonts were either way too big, way awful, way too thick, like Ron Hornaday's 83 or Hermie Sadler's 02, just like, it's like I, don't, I don't know what comes up to the minds to just make those generics, trying to match or try to blow it up, I don't, I would love to have trouble back in time to see what kind of system they ran, because... Boy, I tell you what, if I was there, I would be eyeing on those and making sure it's accurate and perfect. And unfortunately, NBC and TNT stopped being accurate and perfect in 2001. Like, the, with Pepsi 400, they had all the fonts. 
as the year went down, they've fallen all over the place with the number of fonts. It's like, even in the ticker, the 38 was the generic 38. It was not like the this the fonts with all the other ones, if you look closely. But, yeah, I'm, number fonts. Not just number fonts, but red flags. Because, again, aesthetics. And also with the red flags, nobody keeps track of that crap. No one. No matter how many times I tweet the stat, this is the fifth red flag, the 25th at Asserted Trek since 1990. And the only reason why I'm only sticking through 1990 to present because I don't think 88, 89, I can find all the best information or whether or not they stopped because they were still... Was it 88 or 89 to start showing all the races live? Um, I think it may have actually been before that. Um, I want to say it was 85, actually, is the first time they got all the races aired. Well, what I mean, it's like the full broadcast, none of that tape delay or 90-minute highlights like with SCTN. That would prob well, see, that's the thing. All the Pocono races were just on random networks. Um, or on pay-per-view on a couple occasions. Yeah, they didn't, it, for whatever reason, ESPN only cared about broadcasting the ARCA races there, but had no interest in doing any of the cup races. So I think, it, yeah, you're probably, you're you're somewhere in the right ballpark of either 88, 89. Yeah, that's another big problem with, with the landscape of YouTube, honestly, is that they only care about certain stuff at a certain time. Anything, say, after 2003, anything after Winston Cup, that's all they care about for the most part. Because I I, I understand the demo grew up in the next out slash Sprint Cup days. Whereas myself, I grew up at the, I started watching at the final year of Winston Cup. But at the very least, I'm willing to learn, research, and respect the history beforehand. Because obviously, where those guys paid way. And whether it's Gordon or Earnhardt, Wallace, Jared, or even Casey Kane and Carl Edwards for the chicks out there, there's a certain growing point. But when I see all those videos, especially those trying to be unoriginal, it's just usually the same song and dance. And no matter who I, whether I, then every now and then I would comment, why not focus on Kevin Wood? Why not focus on Ryan Matthews? Or, I don't know, focus on something happened from the 80s or 90s that fits the bill. No, and then when I look at it, it's like, no, they just find some drivers that old farts like myself know, but those folks should know already. It's very much a situation, none of it gets clicks. The boomers, unfortunately... They only care about a handful of drivers. Uh, they misremember history like crazy. And they're, they have this belief that their memory is perfect. Therefore, there is no way that this footage contradicts what they remember. So those people would care about history, but unfortunately they have convinced themselves that there is an alternative timeline. And then also, like I said, they only care about a handful of drivers. So if Dale Sr. wasn't in this race, they probably don't care at the end of the day, or they didn't go to that race that year and weren't in the grandstands, so they don't care. So there's your audience for the history of stuff, and then, of course, we have the new generation, like you said, they were raised in a different era, so anything that happened before that era, they don't really want to seek it out. I mean, they've got too much other stuff going on, they don't care enough. And then, unfortunately, they get YouTubers that claim to be historians and experts on that era that aren't historians, aren't experts, 
and making all sorts of factual errors. So now you're basically teaching the wrong history to people. So it's just, it really is just a disaster. And there's only a few people that fit in the middle that didn't, they weren't raised in the Winston Cup era, but wanted to learn about it and actually went back and appreciate what it was, but also appreciated the stuff that happened after the fact. And unfortunately, that's not what our current YouTube crop is. They only care about recent stuff and then doing some half-assed research on historical things. Or missing two or three key pointers that will make that will enhance the thing. No, we're not talking about GTA 5 enhanced and extended. We're not talking about that. We're talking about enhancing the quality. And that's the thing about these days. Quality is hard to come by. Like Balto puts the heart and soul into those music videos. I digged up the research willing to fix the videos to assure it's up to date because I want to make sure it's all perfect and well researched. Or even my last video. I, it took me a week to put that thing together. It was supposed to be a collaborative process between me and Balto, but circumstances happened where we both got busy and also just contemplated whether or not I was even going to do that video. But the way I put it all together, in my opinion, that was my best video I've done with the exception of the Idaho Volleyball Package from 2016. This is my senior year. That was probably my favorite video to date. And give me a second. Gotta love being interrupted. That's a pet peeve that I have to pause for about a few minutes. But that's what you have intermissions for. Anyways, the landscape of YouTube is just so corrupt. I discussed about ad blockers being for pain now. That even if you have it, they're gonna find a way to make it worse. YouTube, I'm talking about. And one of those is Copa. It's so destroyed, it's so broken that we when we're discussing about it, I'm gonna use it as a specific show that is like. How is this Copa fruit? If those in charge of Copa should know what shows are appropriate for kids and what shows they're not. Or they're blind. Or they're morons. Because that's what they are. They're morons to think certain shows are Copa material. It's just is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And also when it comes to profit, I never had earned a dime on YouTube because I had no intention to make a dime. I'm not going to sell out for ads, especially content. That is not made by my own hands. Then if I decided to be a vlogger, then yes, I'll probably put ads. But I'm never going to go stoop to that level. Because to me, it's a sell-off for Sure, a lot of YouTubers make money from it. But for me, I'm not about it. I'm not a YouTuber. Never claimed to be one. I retired. Ugh. Anyways, let's get back to the interview with Frisky Nixon. Once I finally put the decade video together, it's like... Well, this is it. This is my swan song. Let's see what the numbers say. Peanuts. Egg and hamburgers. Hamburgers and hot dog numbers. I was appalled. I was embarrassed. I said, you know what? If you're not going to care about my hard work and dedication. I knew from that time. New Year's Eve 2019. I knew. I was just like, you know. I saw the writing of the wall. Nobody's going to care. To see something in good quality. Or. Because I get it. I have a niche audience. They want the red flags. I get it. But even the last few videos I did. They didn't do too well. Like. The Michael Walter one. Didn't do too well. Sure. I only solely did the Michael Walter video for the meme. That's it. 
the the remake of the Indianapolis 500 because everybody got so triggered about not including Sweet Savage's video or the transition was way too quick. I made all those changes and nobody showed up for the remake. And I saw it on Twitter that Angela Savage said, do not use his father's death, which ultimately he died a month later, but his father's crash that ultimately led to his death, unfortunately. That was what I was trying to respect, but I was like, well, they pushed me to that edge and, and I decided, you know what? I need to go away. I need to step away. And a lot had to do with just the landscape as we talked about. Well, I mean, I can't, even tell you what is popular and what isn't popular anymore. I can't put my finger on what will be a hit, what won't be a hit. I've gotten to the point where I just write, or I just make whatever I feel like making at the time, because I'm not going to be able to please anyone, as the numbers have shown. Yeah. We can't please them all, and I try to be different and try to be creative, but I noticed that I can't figure them out. That's probably why I was bit in the dust, and I don't mind being the dinosaur of the YouTube landscape. But, hey, at the very least, there's some that are still willing to gut it out and provide quality stuff, and I still hope those people continue to do so. Because we sorely need it, in my honest opinion. So much. Because at this rate, they see something on Twitter, like, like my Twitter, no one knows my Twitter hardly enough on the from the NASCAR YouTube because I do not want to use my YouTube channel as my Twitter outlet. I just want to use the one that I called since two thousand, what was it, two thousand eight or nine? I can't remember. All this stuff come to a blur, but yeah. Well, I'm just thinking too with how YouTube in general is evolving and not in a good way. We have now the kid policies that have been implemented. We yeah. have the basically shadow banning of channels by not promoting their stuff. Uh, notifications are broken and have been broken for like two years. YouTube doesn't care to help anyone. So I don't even know how YouTube is going to continue to even be viable, even if all the copyrights work their way out and you know people are allowed to use footage and photos freely. It, it just It's getting to the point where it's like the amount of topics to cover are getting less and less, and people are just remaking each other's content, and now we're dealing with all the crap that gets tossed at us from YouTube. So I don't know if it's viable to be a YouTuber at this point. Yeah. Even if I change things up, I don't think anybody will honestly care. I appreciate those that supported my channel, even from a certain group. They, I, When I hear certain praises, like, you guys actually watch my stuff? <laughs> because that's how I feel about this to this day. It's like, you guys actually watch my crap? You actually want to learn about red flags or me bantering about numbers? Oh, okay. But I see no timetable to return. If I ever come back, it'll just be a 2020 red flag video and finish up the graphic series. That's about it. Yeah, at, at this point, I'm not a persona or a, let's see, what's the, the corrector? An influencer. I'm not an influencer. Never have been, never want to be. Uh, so that's probably honestly why a lot of my content goes completely ignored as well. I'm not on social media trying to make everything about myself. I'm not trying to comment on every single topic and be a pseudo-reporter on my Twitter. It's one of those things that I think almost everyone's persona, personality, is almost more important than the YouTube channel 
but it works because it gets them an audience that will watch their content. I tried the influencer route. Hasn't worked for a while. Nobody cares after I graduated college. It is what it is. Those who want to listen, great. Those who don't, okay. I just shut my mouth and focus on what I know and care about instead. Because if you're not, if they're not gonna care, then I might as well cater to those that do care. Yeah. At the end of the day, YouTube should be a hobby. I know a lot of people currently are trying to turn it into a career. Uh, Godspeed uh, doing that, but I just don't see how that is going to benefit you at the end of the day. When, like I said earlier. NASCAR is starting to prune down the amount of people that are participating in the sport on the media end. So, yeah, good luck with that, especially when YouTube just goes full Nazi and shuts everything down. I mean, you're really going to be hosed at that point. Yeah, and the COPA system is corrupt as hell. Like, you need to tell me a South Park clip is COPA material? Give me a break. It's South Park. I think, honestly, I think a lot of my stuff is now getting suppressed views because I refuse to say that it's kid-friendly. So, And, and I'm not going to take the risk of claiming that it's kid-friendly and then something is misconstrued. Yeah, I wish those people that have those... Just because, oh, oh it's animated! Copa material. Oh, wait, a South Park? Eh, it's animated. Copa. Like, I understand the thought process that was behind that because you do have parents that just put YouTube on and have the kid just sit in front of the YouTube and that becomes their babysitter for the day. And then, of course, because YouTube then just takes you to the next video and the next video and the next video, it goes down a really dark rabbit hole. But this is not the way to do it. No, it is it's totally not I gotta do something about it because it's killed the YouTube meme industry. Spongebob clips in particular, you can hardly find any that hasn't been impacted by Copa. It's like, I want to look at the old comments and get a good laugh or two. It's like, ugh, let me find the next video. Let's see if that one hasn't been affected. Affected, next. Affected, next. It's like, ah, whatever. We'll put something else. Formula One for all I care. I'm just glad that I never monetized anything. Um, that's one thing I refuse oh. to do. Yeah, I like I talk to like what if all the time, and just the struggle of monetizing anything at this point, because of course you're not one of the chosen individuals that YouTube has taken under their wing. Therefore, you're just going to get straight up hosed. It's like every single January, everyone loses their monetization out of the blue. Like, there's no explanation given. They just lose their monetization, and then YouTube makes them reapply, and then it, they eventually, by March, get it back. But it's like, it's obvious what YouTube is doing. They're trying to screw people right and left, but nobody does anything about it. Yeah, and that is very unfortunate, especially for one of his probably one of the more better gamers out there. I still check out his videos every now and then, but boy... For those out there that try and make the most out of a YouTube paying system, I imagine it's difficult. I know a couple that have been impacted with the revenue, and I find their content to be pretty good. But it seems like the ones that are doing a pretty good job, and I can bear with pretty much 98 to 100% of the time, they're the ones that always get host, period. 
It oh is, yeah, and it's ridiculous. We're gonna end this episode with one saucy topic: the Las Vegas fiasco, where the NASCAR media world just turned upside down. But first, let's talk about NASCAR results. At Martinsville last Wednesday, Martin Truex Jr. scored back-to-back victories at the Paperclip on a historic day where Bubba Wallace finished 11th in the Black Line Matters car. He was battling with Jimmy Johnson at the very end. He had a really strong car. If certain causes fell in his favor, he probably would have been up there in that race-winning battle with Truex and the Penske trio of Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, and Brad Keselowski. This past Sunday in Homestead, it was Denny Hamlin who scored his 40th career win, and that was delayed by multiple lightning stoppages. The big topic was indeed Chase Elliott losing the battle because Joey Logano was just gonna race him hard. He was a lap down, multiple laps down. Joey Logano felt like Elliott cost him a win at Bristol, so he decided to repay him back at Homestead. There's always something about Chase Elliott this season, always something. I'm not gonna lie. And as far as the NASCAR Hall of Fame, it is gonna be Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mike Stefanik, and Red Farmer. Those are your three inductees into the 2021 NASCAR Hall of Fame. Ralph Seacrest is the landmark award winner with the Squire Hall Award. Awarded to a media member due to their longevity and excellence will be announced at a later time. So, let's go wrap up this first part episode with Frisky Nixon with that infamous Vegas fiasco. And that's the same when you're talking about the cutting down the cesspool of the media world. Las Vegas was a nightmare, and I think after what happened in Vegas, I definitely know where that's heading. Because, I guess I mentioned already, folks gotta do your research. If it looks sketchy, look it up. Not gonna lie. And one particular video just omitted it. It was not just Jenna Fryer who exposed MRI. Bozy from Track exposed them more than Jenna. See, this is the thing. It didn't take a rocket scientist to see that any of this stuff was sketchy at best. I mean, Joseph talked about how great it was in the offseason, and you're all going to be jealous with this great opportunity. And then the day it was announced, I'm like, wait a minute. This was the big announcement, some independent media company no one's ever heard of, and it looks no different than all this other crap that's out there. It's like, how is this impressive? And then come to find out it was a big fraudulent scam. And then Joseph talked about how he was doing filming for them, yet I never saw a piece of that footage anywhere. It was just the typical vlog, nothing different. Here's the thing about Joseph and Eastep. At least the tall lad was in the post-race scrum. At least he did something. But I get his shtick. I don't view him much of a journalist because he considers himself as a fan at first. So for me, in the thought process, disqualifies him from a th- being a threat as far as my profession. Albeit more than likely, he's probably going to end up. And that's the funny thing. Out of the five particular folks, he's probably the one that's going to make it just fine due to yeah. playing it safe. Because he, honestly, he plays it safe. Yeah, he has mastered ass kissing. And that's what you have to do. If you want that position, you got to kiss the ass. And you got to make sure that your narrative is properly crafted. Make sure that any information that doesn't fit the narrative is ignored. Make sure to misconstrue stuff. That way you can keep pushing the narrative. And here's the thing. More power to him if he's able to do it. He definitely has the best shot at it. He has the most subscribers. He's now actually interviewing real drivers like the Denny Hamlins and the Matt Kinseths. He's getting real people 
in contact with him. So he has the best opportunity, and also he tends to be less volatile on social media because I've mentioned earlier about the whole everyone has a persona and is trying to be an influencer, but none of these people seem to understand how to use social media in a productive manner. They're trying to pick fights. They're trying to troll. They're doing hot takes. They're leaking information online that shouldn't be online. They're taking rumors and running with it. They're shooting themselves in the foot every single time that they tweet, and I just don't see how any of their careers are going to survive if they keep all this nonsense up and don't get into an ass-kissing role where you don't color outside the lines. It seems like they want to be the next Pachris, the next Utter. Here's the thing. It's taken them years to get where they at. And also, there's a thing called building trust and respect within the inner circle. Eastep is probably the only one that's main consistent, albeit he's been taking a lot of L's on social media. Which, <laughs> he's been taking L's, and I know some people will be like, well, you love to see it. You love well, to see it. I mean, writing a dumb tweet or having a dumb take is one thing, because we know what he's angling at most of the time. But he isn't, like, trying to blatantly start fights. I love David Land, but dude is actively going out of his way to cause fights on social media. He can deny it all he wants, yeah, but he's blatantly doing it. Yeah. And he has, like, beef with Jalopnik and stuff, so it's like, the dude already is having problems, you know? Yeah, but he's he's got his he's got his own shtick. He's rolling with confidence. It's kind of like Tony Stewart as where he's gonna be cocky, but he knows he's when to back it up. Whether I'll agree with it or not, but he has his yeah. own shtick. Whether it rubs the indie car folks the wrong way, I've already mentioned by editor chief in particular. Yeah, he just it, he just needs to be mindful because he also like Eric has an opportunity. But they're going to blow it if they keep it up. And then, of course, there's the guilt by association because now we have so many YouTubers that think their opinions are so important and so significant. And this hot take is more important than anything else. And it's just making everyone else look bad. And then, of course, like we were talking about with Vegas, we have some random ass guy that just showed up and asked a bizarre rambling question. And then it made everyone look bad and caused Utter to then bash Barstool. So, yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's a hot mess. It seems like every single race there's a drama. Every single race this season we've had some sort of drama that Billy Joel would have loved to write about it. And it's weird, too. It's like we don't have drivers that talk crap to each other. We really don't have drivers that get into physical confrontations. I mean, Chase Elliott flipped everyone off, and everyone thought it was like, oh my god, it was the greatest moment ever. And it's like, so what? He flipped someone off. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson most of, Yeah, most of the drama that we truly do see is on social media. Like, Denny Hamlin and Corey LaJoy have been going at it for a week now on social media. And I'm like, I'm just going to go sit down, read the tweets, <laughs> just say nothing. Because honestly, any journalist, I get it, some will write about it as a gossip thing. But for me, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to write. I'm just going to sit down and just be mindful. And that's the thing I've been trying to work on. The one time I wasn't so mindful, it was the Todd Gilliland infamous line to Kyle Busch where somebody questioned my integrity and I had to call them a jackass for it, unfortunately. It was like, well, who's the jackass now? And then people believed me. And it's like, eh, I wish it didn't come to this way. 
but I have to prove myself that what I say is the truth. Right. And, and naturally, you'll get that being a small independent journalist, a journeyman, as I like to refer to myself every now and then. And with the direction that cancel culture is going, I think we're probably going to start seeing a drop-off of a lot of people that have these pie-in-the-sky ideas of going into media, and there's going to be at least one tweet that makes it to the surface, and it's done. You're done, dude. No one wants to hear from you in anymore. Unsubscribed, etc. Honestly, they could do good things, but there's so much work in that department. Whether it's like you're talking, we mentioned it already. We're just saying it because we know they could be better. But if you gotta use your head, folks, you gotta use your head. Yeah, if you, I. If you want to, if they want to make it in this business in this day and age, just be careful what you say, because otherwise they're gonna turn on you. Jobs could be affected, especially the Hattori incident with the Austin Hill Xfinity ride, or even. Even doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. You gotta, you gotta be mindful. It does get frustrating when certain people gotta push me to the point where they don't buy what I'm saying. Not all the time. Very rare I would get those. Then I have to back it up and prove that. What's especially with Todd's case, because honestly, when I was I was listening to Todd's radio, because I was like, okay, I think if he wins, I'd like to hear what he's got to say. And then when he said to Kyle Bush, it's like. Wait a minute. And then I looked at Twitter and it's like, did anybody hear what I heard? It's like, huh, nobody heard it. This is news. In my opinion, it's honestly is because we know Todd and Kyle did not got along. Kyle was vocal about him and Harrison Burton being awful compared to the William Byers and Eric Joneses of the world when they drove his truck. Even Greg Biffle, albeit that was Rudy Fugel that led to Biffle winning that night to Texas. They were better than Harrison and Todd. Well, I think a lot of it, too, is lack of self-awareness. You seem to have a good head on your shoulders. You know what not to say. You know when to back up stuff. You know when to get into an argument, not to get into an argument. But a lot of these YouTubers have this, like, belief that they're smarter, they know more stuff, they're cooler. So it ends up creating a situation that every time that they're proven wrong... Ah, it's just the haters. Ah, it's just the haters. Or they just straight up ignore the controversy and then start some more beef with someone else and basically create a controversy to cover up the other controversy. And they don't understand that they're shooting themselves in the foot every single time that they say something, that they try to get into an argument, try to lie about a lie, and it's just, it's awful. Like, I'm self-aware. I know I'm an asshole. I, I, I'm well aware of that fact, and I know that I say a lot of controversial stuff, I know I make edgy jokes, I'm well aware of this stuff, but you don't see me trying to get into this polished, you know, button-up profession where you can't do that. I know where I stand. I can talk crap on Facebook and be fine. I'm not trying to get into a profession where that's not allowed. And that's the thing. I would say something, but then I'd pause myself. I was like, this makes no sense. Delete the tweet. And just carry on. I try to put the right words, but I'm like, uh, structurally, mentally, it was not making any sense. So I usually pause it myself. And that's the problem. Where it's like, they're in that echelon, and then you have some people in the media that actually put over those folks. 
and leaves guys like my like myself that actually studied in broadcasting, adapted in the journalism, re-taught myself to do photography, and I've been in this game for three years now, and I think I, I only made $400 in my entire run so far, and that's for shooting photos at the last two IndyCar races. Sure, the finances doesn't define it, it'd be nice, but I understand the situation with my website are in, and right now we're thin. When I started with Motorsports Tribune, there was eight or nine members. Now we're essentially a two-person staff. I'm not counting my editor-in-chief because he's doing stuff for Auto Week and Racer, but essentially it's a two-person staff. The associate editor and the unofficial social media guy slash staff writer. Yeah, and that I guarantee is what every independent outlet is dealing with now. It's just... It's not viable anymore. And now with COVID killing the economy even further, it's like it's just it's getting bad for everyone in journalism between fake news, between people trying to their ego is taking over what's actually important, which is reporting factual information. The economy, we're not in good shape right now in 2020 when it comes to the media. We're just not. Or talk down to someone that's trying to lift people up. Because when somebody tries me, quote-unquote, I'm like, you do not know my story. You have no idea how hard I've worked to get to this point. From the Uber rides, walking to the track, to literally being the only one representing the website. It's not easy to navigate. And I know I gotta get my license soon, but if I can make it salvageable and doable with what I got, I'd rather do that because, and hopefully someone catches on that I've been doing this. It's not easy because I get it. It's an egocentric world in the media business. And if and then you, when you're in the bottom of the total pole, that every now and then we'll get a question in through a video conference. It helps. But I said to myself, like, you do not know my story. Even if it's something where I'm saying, like, lifting up, trying to keep the photographer folks that I know that are struggling right now confident, motivated. And then when somebody decides to twist it, I'm like, this is why I don't post shit like this anymore. Yeah, it comes down to if you're not popular, you don't have the blue check mark, no one seems to care. And it's unfortunate that that's the case, but at some point you're going to have to catch a break, and that seems to be just in general. You never know when that break's going to come, and it will come, I'm sure, because, I mean, just listen to the, the racers that have done podcasts where they talked about how they were doing stuff at the local level, but no one really cared. And then, like, someone got injured. So then that gave them an opportunity then to jump into a ride at a bigger division and got them noticed. So you never know what's coming down the pipeline. At this moment, I got to do what I can, just keep myself motivated and confident. And I even told my editor-in-chief to hell what he thinks. If he's going to be that way, fine, I'll remember it. Like Jimmy Spencer, he doesn't forget. If I somehow do make it in the long run, I'll remember what he said a couple a month ago. And told him, it's like, yeah, not bad for a West Coast guy that took Ubers and walked to the tracks to do what I'm doing right now. Trust me. Name and address withheld. Will shoot themselves in the foot before it's all said and done. Uh, don't worry about that. I could care. I could care less. As we mentioned in this discussion between Nixon and I, there's no reason why anybody should try to make a YouTube career unless they really have an audience and vice versa. It takes a whole lot. But I feel like, again, the landscape needs to be a lot better than just being so much of an egocentric world. And there's a couple, he mentioned that 
they have the potential. They have the potential of making it from not just being YouTubers, they're probably being somewhat respectable. But the way they're conducting things is not going to help those other YouTubers out in the long run. That's what it comes down to. That's just the true world that we live in. There's always room for improvement. You just gotta have to accept that it don't have an agenda covering it. I can see right through it that this is an agenda-driven video. And sometimes I get it. They want to add their personal experience. I get that. There's no problem with it. But if you make it all about that and defeat the purpose of the video, then it becomes a problem. You gotta stay on topic. Make it about the subject matter. Like a newsletter, like a little news package. And not make it too opinionated that it... That's all people are going to remember. Anyways, part two is going to be a moving more lighter subject where we talk about radios and music and being an introvert. I, I'll say this right now. I'm an ambivert. A mixture of extrovert and then a mixture of introvert. I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert, but every now and then I show both. The extrovert side of me is wants to do stuff. The introvert is just the restrictions. It's just being in a large setting where I don't know anyone. Where I have to require myself to get in the flow of things. Ever since the education days, I've struggled to find the flows. You name it. We're all human. That's all it is. We have our own views. We have our own livelihoods. We have our ways to go about things. That's what makes us all of us unique. We all have our voices. We all have our opinions. That's just how the human life goes. That will do it with this episode. Make sure to find me on Facebook, Behind the Exploratory Lenses. You can find me on Twitter at the LT Files, Instagram, Luis D. Torres94, L-U-I-S, D-S and David, T-O-R-R-E-S94. I have to say that every time just to be clear. And the incredible outlets you can find this, wherever you're listening to, whether it's on my website, Luis Torres Multimedia, just type it in and you'll find it, www.luisdtorres.com. Or SoundCloud, Spotify, Google, Apple, and iHeartRadio. You can find them out there. In the meantime, catch you guys later, and until we meet again, just remember, do your damn research, stay safe, and more importantly right now, stay healthy. I think I think some weird guy from the state of Washington must have looked into that and noticed they stole NBC material. I can't remember who that guy is. I think, hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it was so obvious, too. And then Joseph talked about how he was doing filming for them, yet I never saw a piece of that footage anywhere.